We welcome you to the 2021 Eschatology Series, a series that unfolds the power of ancient prophecies. Our series is based on the book of Revelation. Let's get started. Welcome to our Eschatology series of 2021. We are on number 63 in our series. Today's title is Marriage Made in Heaven. It's very important for us to understand what it means in our passage when it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Today we're going to be talking about the important details of the guidelines within Hebrew weddings. The standards that they used then, and some Orthodox Jews remain steadfast in these views, come directly from God's design of marriage. And we're going to be talking about each of those guidelines. Before we get started, let's take a look at our passage for today. It is out of Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. After these things I heard something, like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because His judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty piles of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God bless his word. Let's talk about the mystery of the harlot. This is the all-time favorite chapter in the book of Revelation for me. We are about to study the marriage of the Lamb and the judgment of the nations that have come against her. Who is this bride? It is none other than those who have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why the enemy, Satan, his government, Babylon, and his religious leader, the false prophet, are almost always referenced as a harlot and immoral? Not only have I been curious about this, but I have also done years of study regarding this mystery. My conclusion is rather simple. Since the whole point of creation and all that occurs up to this chapter is mostly about God securing a bride for his son, Satan's goal has been and will continue to develop immorality in the world defiling the marriage bed. He thinks by doing this to the human force, he is defiling the marriage bed of Christ. The final announcement of the great Babylon being destroyed or has fallen, and it's time for all of heaven to rejoice, which is exactly what is happening here in our passage. I often feel bad for the Universalists because their whole mission is to turn God into a lukewarm God who would never rejoice over destruction. Do you see how that ideology rubs in the face of God's righteous judgments? Not only should the Bride of Christ be okay with God shouting praises over his judgments, but we should also join him. Keep in mind that he gave some 6,000 years of warnings and invites to those lukewarm universalists. At this point in our scripture, the time is not only up, but the system of the Antichrist had been destroyed by God and now they're rejoicing in heaven because of it. Let's review that eternal smoke offering. Alas, for Babylon's burning in its smoke that darkens the heavens, if you do a proper study on this, you will discover that the burning of Babylon is like an eternal smoke offering, raising itself into eternity to remind all who are in heaven 
of the great and mighty judgment of God. This is why it says hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Why are these 24 elders and four living creatures bowing down and worshiping God over Babylon's burning? It is because God just destroyed the force, structure, and religious whoredom that has afflicted his son's bride for generations. At this point in our journey, she is free from all temptations, defilements, and tortures that Satan has afflicted the woman, the bride of Christ, from the tyranny of God's greatest enemy. Well, from my finite mind, you can better believe that there will be a sound of many waters and like a sound of mighty pearls of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, the God of the true universe has freed his son's bride eternally. It's time to take a look at the marriage of the Lamb, just to... Bring to the forefront of your memories in Revelation 19. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Allow me to share with you some of the basic facts regarding Hebrew marriage. Looking at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, it says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is a serious statement coming to us from the Word of God. If we look at marriage today, we see everything from marrying your dog to marrying your same-sex boyfriend. Marriage is to be held in high honor by all, and that means all. But its object in this passage states that honor is to be shown to marriage as an institution. It is not to be undervalued as though celibacy were purer. Any violation of the marriage contract should not dishonor it. This means the contract established between man and the woman is a covenant sealed in heaven. What God joins in a union, no man or his laws can separate. Matthew 19.6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When mankind devalues the marriage institution, they are subtly attacking the marriage of the Lamb. That's a fact. For God, the Father of Jesus Christ, gave us the institution of marriage to demonstrate, by law and relationship, what is to come with this Son. Now looking at the history of marriage, marriage was instituted in the Garden of Eden. When man was in his innocence, according to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24, 
Here we have its original contract confirmed by the Lord as the basis on which all laws and marital guidelines are to be framed. Read more about that in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. Monogamy, one spouse until death, was the original design of marriage. This design was validated very early on when man's problems with lust began to overflow into God's ordinances of marriage. That's according to Genesis chapter 4, verses 19, and then chapter 6, verse 2. We meet the occurrence of polygamy two or more wives and concubage, a wife of a secondary rank, in the patriarchal age. You can read more about that in Genesis chapter 16 and also chapter 22. Polygamy was recognized in the Mosaic Law, made its way into legislation, and continued to be a practice through Jewish history until their captivity to Egypt, after which there is no instance of it on record. Why is all this significant? The lust of our forefathers wanting plurality of wives didn't have the option of divorce because divorce didn't exist. Therefore, they instituted polygamy and concubage to fulfill their appetites for trying out different women. The leadership of the day buckled under the pressure of the men and legislated their lust. Polygamy and concubage were the entrance or gateway for divorce. Shortly after the legislation of polygamy, Divorce was instituted to keep God's monogamy laws. In the eyes of our forefathers, this became the new and legal way to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. Now let's review the history of divorce. If we don't understand the history of divorce, we will not be able to embrace the words of Jesus when the righteous leaders of his day were testing him with the laws of Moses. Matthew 19.3 shows us this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus' response was consistent with history. He answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? Well, the fact is they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together simply no man can separate, according to Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. The statement, let no man separate, is translated out as let no man's law separate. The other significant statement made here is from the beginning. Their reasons for satisfying their lusts did not catch Jesus' attention. He went back to his father's design of monogamy, 
one wife until death. Now let's take a look at Satan's purpose for divorce. Here's the big question. Why would the enemy push so hard for legislating divorce? Another simple answer. Because if the enemy can break up the original design of one woman plus one man plus one father equals one flesh, he would then be able to ingrain into the hearts of man that just maybe one father plus one son plus one spirit does not equal one God. That is nothing short of one of his biggest lies. Secondly, he would be able to convince the bride of Christ that there is a possibility Christ would forsake or divorce his own bride. Divorce is the human tool used by the enemy to try to break up the trinity in the hearts of man. Divorce needs to be viewed through the eyes of God first, and secondly through history. This is man's futile attempt to legislate lust and a refusal to reconcile. Since the whole mission and purpose of Jesus Christ is to reconcile the people back to God, Satan has used this misnomer of divorce to put doubts in the minds of humanity. People do tend to view God as and through the way they behave. God the Father ordained the institution of marriage to set in concrete for mankind the fundamental truth of one father plus one son plus one spirit equals one God. That brings us to the point of looking at the Father's view of marriage. Let's take a look at it. The Charter of Marriage in Genesis 2.24 reproduced by our Lord with great distinctiveness, as is found in Matthew 19, 4-5. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all separate individual beings, but are one as a whole. God the Father established the institution of marriage in the garden to prepare the way for the original eternal design in union of Christ and the church. Read more about that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Mark 10, verses 5 through 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 16, and then again in chapter 7, verse 2. The point is this. The husband and wife united in marriage combined to form one perfect human being. The one is to complement and be a completer of the other. Therefore, Christ makes the church a necessary appendage of himself. He is the model from whom, as the blueprint, the church is formed, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 5. As the husband is of the wife, he is her head, her governing authority, her protector. Death is the only tool that severs the bridegroom and the bride, but death cannot separate Christ and his bride. But if you look at the reality that we need to be brought unto the end, 
death to the self-life, this principle, Hebrew law, still remains in play. Our death is what unites us to him, according to Romans chapter 8. In Ephesians 5.32, it says this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Well, in this passage, the phrase, the mystery is great, is the truth hidden once, but now revealed. Christ's spiritual union with the church is mysteriously represented by marriage. Not marriage in the general sense, but the marriage of Christ in the church. Paul says, For we are members of his glorified body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This statement should sound a bit familiar to you. When Adam was placed in deep sleep, the father formed Eve out of his open side, symbolizing Christ's death, which was the birth of his spouse, the church. As Adam gave Eve a new name, so Christ gives the church his new name. It states, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to him, and I will give a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. That is the Hebrew reason why the woman takes on a new name, while she has to shed the name of her father and adopt the name and lineage of her husband. In conclusion, neither the Bible in general nor Jesus in particular treats the family from the point of view of a historian or sociologist, but solely from that of a teacher of the Father's principles and morals. In short, their point of view is gotological rather than sociological. Moses and his prophets, no less than Jesus and his apostles, accepted marriage as a holy institution that gives rise to certain particular ethical questions and they dealt with it accordingly. There is nothing in the record of the teachings of Jesus and his apostles to indicate that they caved in to marital, social content, customs, or sanctions. They simply accepted it as God's conventional civilized way or ways for his people. They also accepted its connected customs which were for ethical and illustrative purposes. This is one of the exceptions to his general statement, Jesus acknowledged because of the demands of social development for Moses to modify the law permitting and regulating divorce. At the same time, this clearly indicates that he regarded such modifications as out of harmony with the institution that God the Father established for the Hebrew people. 
According to the original divine purpose, marriage was monogamous. Any form of polygamy and apparently of divorce was excluded from his father's divine idea and purpose. This is why Jesus was taking them back to in the beginning. Many modern believers use Jesus' words in Matthew 19 as an excuse or permission for divorce. This could not be farther from the truth. His statement to the religious leaders of that day was a correction of strain from the beginning. For if Jesus had put a hearty approval on divorce that day, he would have subtly allowed a cheap doctrine of forsaking his bride. Coming up next is the father chooses the bride for his son. Well, even though it's not a popular idea today, Hebrew tradition reveals the groom's father is the one that picks the bride for his son. When we look at the Hebrew eternal perspective of marriage, this is exactly what the Heavenly Father did for his son. He set the entire creation system up for one simple purpose. That simple purpose is to establish a bride for his son. But in this process, God used creation in the same manner he's going to use to close off creation to punish and deal with his greatest enemy, and that, of course, is Satan. We're going to be talking about many of those details in our up-and-coming message. We certainly hope that you will join us in that. We are at the point in our Revelation study where we are cementing the final details of why God did what God did. This is going to slowly move us into our study as we talk about the new earth. This new earth is the final place that Jesus right now is preparing for his bride. How exciting is that? From this day forward in our study, we will be focusing on the same positive issues that the book of Revelation focuses on from chapter 19 until the end. Until next time.